All right there, Bucky boy. Are you ready? Never. He's never ready. That's what he said. All right. So, welcome everyone. We're getting set up right now, and uh, we should be beginning the show very shortly. We are very professional here at the Twin Shadows Studios. At our new studios in Zencasterland. That's right, everyone. Welcome to... Uh, this is a new Twin Shadow. A new Twin Shadow. Hopefully a more lucrative <laughs> Twin Shadow. But we're Shadow after he got off the floating island. That's right. In the world of ruin. When uh, Did he, you let Shadow die the first time? And we're talking about Final Fantasy VI, a famous Japanese RPG that came out in 1992. Actually, I have no idea if that's when it came out. That's pretty close. I think it's 94, but you're probably right. And you can leave the titular. What's that word mean? Titular. Titular? Oh. Sure. Character Shadow to die. Yeah. You could lose a lot of characters in that game, couldn't you? Yeah. Uh, essentially, you. I think there's only a few you have to actually get in the, in the world of Ruin. Like, you don't have to save Mog. You don't have to save Shadow. Mog can die? Yeah. Spoilers. I know. Who I never actually be Final Fantasy Don't let so. the Moogle die. Oh, no, that's at the before the world of Ruin. You don't have to technically go and get him. He, in Narsh. And he would die? Yeah. So would Omaru die too? Yeah, you won't be, You can't get him without Mog. They die because Marsh explodes or something? What happens to Marsh? Uh, Narsh, Narsh doesn't, is the city, by the way. Narsh doesn't explode. Um, but uh, Mog's the only one that can talk to Umaru. So without... That's how you get him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So without Mog, you can't get him. So yeah, not getting Mog like cuts you off from a bunch of characters. Really? Yeah. I, yeah, because uh, if you don't save Mog, he essentially like falls to his death. That's right. He the, does, huh? He the, dies. Yeah. Okay. Did you get all the characters? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, of course. I, the first time, though, I did, Shadow did die on my first playthrough. <laughs> yeah, he died on my. I was and like, no. That was like did. back in the Game Facts days. Yeah, or, you couldn't just easily figure it out. I no. Mean. Well, also, you have to knowingly go with one less character in your party. So you have to fight, you have to fight a boss with Is one that less. How you get him. Yeah, you have to fight a, the, a boss with one less character. And who would ever do that? And you're like, well, yeah. And you're like, well, I got to make it harder on myself. But I was like one of those nerdy guys. I just would grind until all yeah. the characters had knew all the espers. Oh, I so would just, I was always yeah. so overleveled. Well, that's what I did for Final Fantasy VII. And literally, I would one-shot everything. Like, I know I tried the final level where you fight Genova, mm -hmm. the mini boss. And dude, I was just one-shotting her. <laughs> yeah. But I never beat that game either. All right, so. Let's jump in. You ready? Yes. Welcome, everyone, to Twin Shadows Podcast, the podcast about filmmaking, filmmakers, and films. This is episode 109, Using Dreams as Inspiration in Your Filmmaking, or What Dreams May Come. <laughs> <laughs> Robin! <laughs> what Dreams Did Come. Now, isn't that kind of what the other episode was titled? Probably. I think we referenced What Dreams May Come. Oh, for sure. I think um, that was one of Margarita's movies, favorite movies or something. Well, it's also such a easy film to mention, even though it's not about dreams. Really? Yeah. Right? No, not at all. Yeah. Interesting. It's a very sad movie. It's a sad movie, but it's... Um, it's also... But, I mean, it's kind of interesting because there's... Uh, he, you know, he's still, there's still hope. Like, is he able? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, he pulls his wife out of hell. Right. I guess it's essentially uh, Dante's, huh? It's kind of like, yeah. Except instead of him, her saving him and pulling him out of hell, he's saving her and pulling her out of hell. Right? Because Beatrice is his main motivator to make it to heaven. Yeah. Right? That's her name? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And Virgil. He has to leave Virgil behind in, uh, in Purgatory. Does he? Yeah. Because I never read past uh, Inferno. Yeah. Virgo, uh, Virgil can't leave Purgatory. So he, at the end of Purgatorio, or I think is what it's called. Yeah. I read the uh, I read that one, and man, the writing I thought was so much better than Inferno. Well, of course. I think it was... Re- Although it's a translation, so... True. Yeah. It's like... it's translate Translated works are always really interesting because yeah. you're... Right? Like you're... It's also like dub versus subs, right? Like yeah. you're not necessarily getting the full impact of the writing. Yeah. Because you're getting it like the colloquialisms are different and everything yeah. like that is different. And a big part of like writing in your language, right, is you understand the references and the jokes and the yeah. you know the inside the idioms and the mannerisms and yeah. all those things like kind of make more sense in the in the native tongue. Well, they say they always say Don Quixote is the greatest book, and I guess English majors or literaries literally <laughs> will learn Spanish just to read that book. Yeah, which is like, damn, that's cool. Yeah, I mean that I, that that would be something cool, really awesome. Which, I mean, I, I'm really bad at learning anything. But learn Russian to uh, read Dostoevsky. Although yeah. I heard Russian's like kind of impossible to really learn unless you're born into it, because just under because it's so much centered around the culture too, and uh, it like even if they're saying something that might literally not but be what they mean, and yeah, it's extremely difficult to translate. Anyways. You know what is hard to translate? What's that? Dreams. Dreams, yes. So how you been, buddy? I'm okay. It's been a really long week. Uh been a very busy like actual like day job work week. Yeah. Um which is always uh terrible. But I did get a draft written um for Alex's short. Oh yeah. Uh Mr. Rico. Rico. So that um was that the name you picked or did he pick? He picked that. Ah, is so, the guy's name Johnny? Nope. <laughs> Actually, it. I don't know. I didn't give him a first name. Yeah, maybe his first name's Johnny. <laughs> yeah, could be. Uh, I, 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 the script I think is is a lot of fun. Um, it's you know it's interesting uh, how easy it is to write fifteen pages sometimes. What do you mean by that? Because sometimes I think it's like because I wrote that in two nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like so it's like half and half or like nine pages and then i wrote the last uh the last six uh the next night and i was like Fuck, this is like it's a breeze it didn't even take it took me there was like probably two hours total writing time and that was wow. also me kind of fucking around a bit too was it, it was it easy because you were like engaged in the story and it like grabbed you or is yeah it- that's what i was saying is what, what i think is like sometimes it's just all it takes is this I mean, we've talked about this a lot. It's just that inertia, mm, right? Yeah. You just have to start writing. And then it just like, I didn't want to go to bed the first night, but then I was looking, it was almost nine o'clock and I was like, oh, that four o'clock, that 4 a.m. alarm comes fast. Yeah, yeah. It comes fast and it comes furious. And, you know, what you got to do is you just have to like dive in. And 
what I, what I kind of do to prep myself for that is just start to write in my head mm-hmm. so that I'm not just sitting at the blank page. I at least know oh, where I'm okay. going to start. So kind of leaving some some uh, trails, little crumbs to kind of follow. Yeah, because I, I think, yeah, it's just, it's like going to the gym, right? Yeah. Like once you're at the gym, you're like, hey, you know, this ain't so bad. <laughs> it's actually kind of nice. Like yeah. exercising feels really good. But yeah. dude, it's... You'd get, you, you could probably like rip my teeth. I ain't going. <laughs> right. And I'm it, comfortable. And so, yeah. And I, you know, that was one thing I was like really noticing. And I was just like, man, I, why don't I just write more and like during the week? Cause lately I, it's, I've been having a hard time writing during the week if I can't write at work. Yeah. And it, we've been really busy. So I haven't been able to do that. And it's like, fuck, it is like, it's hard to start writing at home for me. Um, yeah. but I, you know, I just said, fuck it. You got to do it. I wait, I, I wasted a whole week. I was a week behind on when I told Alex I'd be done with it because I just haven't written at home in a long time. So, well, I think your reasons for not writing are different than mine. Cause what yours is just lack you like, you can't focus at home or, uh, it's exhaustion. It's that, but also I, I get, I am, I'm a home only home for about three hours. That's the it. Week. That's it. Every day. Every day. So I get home around 5.30 or 6, and I'm in bed by 8. Gross. <laughs> Monday through Friday. Yeah. Damn, dude. And so if I'm lucky, uh, like dinner will already be made or I didn't have to make it. And then yeah. I will shower and bathe the kids. And normally then I'm going to bed. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, you got to bathe the kids too. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a job. Yeah, and so then it's like, okay, that's, and then, but sometimes I'm like, I'll just be like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to get like six or five hours sleep and I'll just stay up to like 10 or something. Damn. And then it's like, okay. But because I, I like, I, I want to get work done during the week. Yeah. And it's like. <laughs> well, shit, no wonder you're, you're, you're. Uh, <laughs> but how are you doing, buddy? Not, it's been a lot about me. How about you? Well, it's interesting that you talk about the momentum because, you know, I did a draft of magic. And I drafted a Boros deck, splashing Itali. No. Yeah, it was Boros. Splashing Itali. Well, Itali wasn't splashed. He's a dinosaur that wins you the game. It's like the T-Rex that you can play. And then I had the other green-white dinosaur. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one I splashed. Anyways, man, I was crushing it. I got like four wins. Mm -hmm. Zero losses. No, one loss because I got mana screwed. But then I played. I was like, ah, well, let me stop now because I got to get to work, you know. And I hate doing that when I'm playing Magic because when I'm on a good roll, it's like just play until you start tilting. Yeah. But it was like, no, let's be responsible. And sure enough, I jump back on two, three days later. I completely forget how to play the deck. And boom, two instant losses and it's over. <laughs> I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's Magic, baby. And so, you know, it's always important to keep that momentum, man. If you can keep it going... And, you know, maybe sleep a little less. I think it's worth it. Granted, not for video games, but for writing. Because I know sometimes, or even just I want to write something. And I'll have a huge excitement because I really figured it out in my head. And I know what I want to write. But I sit on it because I'm like, well, it's not the right time. And then before I know it, momentum's completely gone. I've forgotten everything that I had thought of. And it's like just completely stagnant now. Yeah. And you lose so much there. But I mean, I've been all right over, well, nah, 
Zoe, Zoe almost died on yeah. me a couple of weeks ago. And so I think I'm still recovering from that just because I wasn't getting any sleep, constantly watching her. And then she had her spleen taken out because there was a nine pound mass on it. Fortunately, it's uh, benign. And it was, it had ruptured, I guess, and was slowly bleeding out. Yeah. So she was bleeding to death. Yeah. So then getting her the surgery and then nursing her back to health and not a lot of sleep, always kind of at it. So that's also why the last podcast came out a day late. So I think I'm still recovering. In fact, this Sunday I plan, or I'm hoping to not do very much. Charlie wants me to watch the F1 races. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably just do that in full clothes. Yeah, hey, you know, that's a, that's that's relaxed. Though it sounds dreadfully boring to me, but yeah. <laughs> well, you're not into any sports really, right? No. Like, I don't really do anything outside of writing and filmmaking and the stuff we do no, anymore. I man, I only write and filmmake. No, I, I literally that's it's just it's not for well, a yeah, lack of not wanting to. If you're only awake for three hours, of course. That's yeah. all you can do. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've been I've been really focusing on trying to keep Sunday for like a day to not really do anything. Yeah. Ah, or, you're becoming a holy man. You're keeping just, it holy. Yeah. Keep that Sabbath. Keep that. Yeah. Something, whatever. Cause yeah, without it, cause I, there was a while where I was like just trying to fill up every day. And I, I was just, dude, I was like so fucking burnt out. Yeah, man. Like as uh, I've gotten older, dude, I need that one day. Just give me that one day to recover. Yeah, and I can come. I can keep going strong for the rest of the following week. Yeah, yeah. So Saturday, I do plan to hopefully edit a lot, depending on how messed up we get tonight. Yeah, but I've also had like some really good momentum with scene six. It's kind of stagnated because of the podcast. I had to prioritize mm-hmm. that. But for a while, like when even when I was nursing Zoe, every day I was doing at least an hour. And of course, once you get started, you know. you want to keep going so Mm -hmm. easily i was doing like two to three hours yeah 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 yeah. like like last sunday i i just was like hey i need i just need the day and all i did was just to sit and edit yeah and it felt great like i love just being left alone to just work yeah it's like damn it's it's like so hard to to, like i I try not to do that because you know i don't get to spend that much time with the family during the week and it's like Mm. You know, the kids probably don't even know they have a dad. <laughs> and it, put, it puts a lot on Katie too, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. But like, I was just like Sunday. You know, just give me, just give me Sunday, and and pretty much from about like seven in the morning until six o'clock at night, I would just did a, I Damn, dude. went through and I I uh, did like a brush up cleanup of uh, the edit, mm-hmm. and then I cut uh, I cut like three or four more scenes down and uh, shaped those, and I added some of the stuff that we were talking about. And then rendered it out. So, because I think what's really important is, and this is a big note for filmmakers out there, is that when you're editing and you got to watch and re- I, I don't know what the difference is between why rendering out makes it feel, it's just because it's probably just smoother. And and by rendering out, you mean watch the thing in full or just yeah, like, have a full version of it. Yeah, like render out a full uh, video file and then just watch that, like yeah. where you're just, you know, and then just pay attention to it. Man, it changes everything yeah literally it changes everything yeah it does i i guess because you're just not stuck in the frames right you're right. not stuck looking at frames you're actually looking at seconds essentially right right the whole thing and, yeah you're seeing the woods from the trees and yeah. while you're editing you're essentially like you're so buried in that forest 
that it's incredibly difficult to realize like that those three or five seconds that you've been agonizing over are meaningless to some degree. I mean, of course it has a meaning and like you want to, you know, present like the most smoothest, best transitions and everything to be possible. But then you're like, but then you're onto another scene that can kind of, it's just like, oh, you're just rolling with it. And it, then one thing I've noticed, especially with the our cut so far, is that we just like we like ramped up the pace oh, a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. Almost to a point where I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's too fast now. Yeah. We're we uh, we really gotta go back and like figure out how to like make things feel a little longer. And yeah. just because it's just like boom, boom, boom. And but I was also thinking like maybe that's an interesting thing. And good thing for modern audiences because, and to go because <laughs> of TikTok, because <laughs> like the right, like there's no, but I mean it's not necessarily the style that we like, but maybe that's what will work, and it's serendipitous because modern audiences have, are, you know, people say that modern audiences have no uh, attention, attention span, span. Yeah. but I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but hey, we can we can say it was it was intended. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I I will say that editing, um, it's actually kind of helped me learn to see better delivery. Because mm-hmm. then I'm stuck with that take, and I'm watching that delivery over and over, and you're seeing where the actor's not there or when they're not feeling it. And man, I'll say there's one person in particular that I'm dealing with that just I kind of fucking hate them. Because they tanked so many of the fucking scenes and literally were a detriment to it. And you could probably guess who I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly. Because I've cut those scenes. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, what the, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Honestly, you, you're here to do this project. Why are you behaving like this? Because we're going to put this together someday and we have to deal with the shit you're doing and we have to work around that. And you're fucking up so bad that it's not workable. And I will say that is uh, partially that is on our shoulders as well because we were too ignorant to really understand what was going on at the time. And I think if anything, as you know, it's as big of a detriment it is to the film. It is great as a learning experience to oh, us yeah. because now whenever we go to edit or even just write and direct a scene, I have I feel like. Okay, well, no, we gotta really go until we get at least some deliveries that I'm comfortable with. And this was something, man. If I could just go back in time and just fucking strangle myself to death, I absolutely would. Because, god damn it, like a big thing, we had the time during the week to like cut all the scenes we had shot on the weekend together. Oh yeah, and like there's no oh we were too tired, blah 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 excuse. We we weren't shooting that much on the weekends. It would have taken probably two hours throughout the whole week, and we could have cut all those scenes together and really watched them. We could have done every take. The dailies, essentially. Right, the yeah. dailies, yeah, the rushes, which rushes are, uh, it's pretty much another word for daily, which is, you know, at the end of the day, you would just cut the scenes that you had together so that yeah. the audience. And it goes back to film where you would look at the negatives and right, to make see sure. how the negatives came out yeah, and see because, how the project's coming out. Yeah, well, also, you had no idea. That was yeah. the scary thing, right? I couldn't yeah. imagine being on film where you're like, 
Well, uh, <laughs> well, you see, the canister opened on transit, and yeah. you lost all the footage. There was a slight light leak, and <laughs> half the film is gone. <laughs> yeah, you know, half the frame is just white. Uh, shit. I guess we're reshooting. Um, which you know, and you know that was just, that was just ignorance and a you know, it was a confidence issue because I, I just kept feel. I remember when we were shooting, I just kept feeling like. I'm not good enough to be to edit this movie. I kept thinking that I'm not good enough to edit this movie, which is the fucking stupidest line of logic. But I felt there was a lot of the time where I just like felt so in over our, my head. I don't know if really? you felt the same way. No, but I was just like, oh my god, this is really happening. Like we're really doing this. Look at that sexy camera. Look at our sexy actors. Like yeah. what are we? Like what am I doing? Like this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, I don't know. I don't belong here. And it was like, just like almost like crippling well, that imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome really showed up. Yeah. Huh? I remember like the end of every night, like I just was like almost on the earth, on the verge of barfing most of the time. Yeah. Is that was, why you were puking so much? Yeah. Because of that? Yeah. Damn, dude. Because I, I just remember thinking like, because I was like, fuck, dude. Like, cause this is all I ever wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is all I ever wanted to do was just tell stories and yeah. with friends. And that's what filmmaking is, right? And damn, man, it's. Uh, once you actually do it, I mean, there's a reason, like, you go back, it's like, uh, essentially making films is like going to hell. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is you learn to love the hell mm. to a degree. And you also look back and like, if you want to talk about what dreams may come, you look back and it is, it does become a dream. You romanticize the fuck out of it. And yeah. you're like, man, those times were so good. And then when you're in the shit and the actor's like giving you fucking lip because you're looking up their nose or some <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, lighting's not their right. Their curl and their hair is not as curly. And then they're yeah. like, and we're like, we're not even looking at your face. <laughs> Shut <laughs> the fuck up. Get out of the gut. Just do the, give me your, give me the scene. That's why I say never show the actor the, the angle or anything. Just leave them in the dark. I think it's okay to show them the angle. Sydney said no. So they can understand the blocking yeah. and their frame. Um, but also you can do that with markers, which I don't, we never really utilize too much. Oh. Uh -huh. Like just like putting tape on the floor. Like this is your spot. This is your mark. No, we here. did it a lot. It's just no one ever landed on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause we did a lot of markers just. Yeah, no one really worked within it. And also, I think a lot of our framing was a little too tight for them to yeah, that was one, easily that's navigate. That's one thing, too. Yeah, is we we shot a, a lot of scenes really, really tight. And also, um, one thing I noticed, too, about a Dickhead in particular that is kind of, I wish was different, is um, we have a lot of scenes where the characters just don't move. It, oh, and they're just talking. They're just standing there talking. And not necessarily that they have to be doing something or talk, or walking and talking. We're not making some Aaron Sorkin thing. But I felt like sometimes it was like the whole movie just stops so that these two characters can stop and talk, which maybe we got from like Kevin Smith or Tarantino or something where the world kind of stops around the characters so that they can talk and to get their dialogue out. Yeah, but then at the same times we don't have interesting enough angles <laughs> to like, or the, the delivery isn't interesting enough to like make it work. Yeah, and I think that's where the detriment comes. Like it, it I think that's a, a a good method of filmmaking that you can go for, like where characters stop to talk 
where like the world kind of stops around them. Like things don't have to necessarily play out in real time like they would in real life. Like if a character stops and talks, two characters stop and talk for 10 minutes, that doesn't necessarily have to have a huge continuity uh, for like the actual in-world time. Like yeah. they can stop and talk for 10 minutes, but then, you know, someone could still be like in the bathroom or something and they could just be coming out. Yeah. Movie time. Yeah. We right. get movie time, right? Movie time is not real lifetime. There's like a relativity there or something. Yeah. <laughs> You're closer to the speed of light on the camera or something, you know. Uh, so speaking of the speed of light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's see. We have we're gonna start this episode off. Oh, we have <laughs> <laughs> that's just the intro. So we're gonna start this episode off with some wonderful comic book movie news, our favorite topic to discuss and be repulsed by. This uh, section is a bit sensational, but why not? Paul Asterberry, the production designer of the new Flash movie, said in an interview with CBC in regard to Ezra Miller and the scandal surrounding them, because that's his pronouns. Oh, they, them, right? Surround, surrounding them. Yeah, yeah. That people will forget. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on the statement? And should actors' actions, especially being as recent and in the middle of, impact the movie in an idealist? Should it impact the movie in an idealist sense? And in the real world sense? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I think one thing about this, and he's absolutely right. One, people, I feel like the majority of people probably don't even follow entertainment news as closely. Like, as, I mean, I bet you if you we just walked around the mall and asked people who Ezra Miller even was, 90% of them would have no idea. That's fair. And I, this is just an internal guess. So that doesn't affect, they, but they probably know the Flash. Yeah, they don't know who Ezra Miller is, but they know the Flash. Yeah, but they know the Flash, and the, that's probably why comic book movies are successful, is because they know the characters, not the actors necessarily. Mm. Which goes back to what I think there was another Anthony Mackie. Yeah, was yeah. saying something like that. Like, yeah, you're there to see Captain America. You're there to see the Falcon. Right? Yeah, that's what his yeah. character's name. You're not there to see. Chris Evans, yeah, or Anthony Mackie, right? And and as regards to what he's saying, I think th there is an impact in both senses. Uh, but the thing that I think always bugs me, and you know, like remember when everyone was digitally removing like Kevin Spacey from their movies? Yeah, is it's like man, it is such a it's such a bummer because film is such a collaborative effort. That the uh, the horrible actions of one person just completely destroy the lives of everyone that worked on that film. Yeah, and I feel like it, there's a point where maybe we could just look past that because they're a representation of a character, and we just you know moving forward like Ezra Miller is like we got to get that kid some help. Maybe he needs to go to jail, rehab, yeah. whatever. But like all those people that worked on Flash, all that shit, all the writers, all the the scripties, all the fucking guys loading trucks. Yeah. Like, we don't have, why do we, ma we're making them suffer because the star is a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. And it's like, damn, that's, I mean, yes, he's a, he is a horrible, like, piece of shit. They. And he, and he pro they is, you know, Ezra <laughs> needs some help, right? He's definitely yes. got some things going on. There's, there's something up. And because to me, it's because, I've never really had a problem with the whole separation of the art from the artist thing. 
because I don't necessarily worship celebrity that much. Like, I maybe uh, some more of the personal creators to me that have like really impacted me. But as an on a general, I don't really give a shit. Like, if I, if I like the the art, I don't really care about the artist too much. Well, do you know some of his crimes? I know he kicked someone in Hawaii. Kidnapping. He, he kidnapped some people. Uh, held like a woman and a child. In a basement. Some kind of culty kind of stuff. Yeah, on his farm and gave him drugs or some shit like yeah. that. And then they escaped. And then he had a gun and he pulled the... Didn't he pull a gun out on people or some shit? I, he was up to some like house invasion and yeah, and battery charges and then possibly kidnapping. Although I think the woman's saying it wasn't that bad. He, well, also the problem too is like how much everything gets sensationalized in the media. Like w- one, we don't have any uh-huh. idea. We don't. Tom's on the payroll for WB, as you <laughs> could tell. <laughs> <laughs> WB, I'd like some money. I mean, <laughs> if, I can, if you got some coming my way, I really don't mind. Yeah. But I, I mean, God damn, dude. I feel like in this world, everyone is really just, they're just looking to burn and Oh, yeah. He also groomed, turn. Some, groomed a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I, like I said, he's not a great person. And also, we don't know this, the whole story. Yes. And to, these are accusations. There's nothing right. as far as I know that he's actually been convicted of at least in a court of law i think he got convicted of the battery <laughs> <laughs> but i mean who doesn't battery every now and then uh but but i mean what do you think buddy like this is- well well with the statement i think it's extremely tone deaf and i think that was very stupid for the production designer to say that especially in this climate yeah it's like it's the, just kind of dumb it's like dude <laughs> it reminds me of that word in a subreddit, different way the subreddit technically truth <laughs> yeah right. where it's like yeah we get that it's the truth but have some tact <laughs> yeah yeah exactly there you go have some tact and you know i will say i don't know man i think because of how recent all the accusations are it does bother me you know and i like to be the kind of person that separates the artist from the art mm-hmm. but i think just because of the uh immediacy of all of it it, it it kind of is hard to to put it aside. For instance, like you said with Kevin Spacey, when I watch him in American Beauty or Seven, you know, K-Pax. it's kind of like K Pax. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, there's that guy, but yeah, it's like, well, whatever, he's great. But then, yeah, with just Ezra Mill, like it's like he's got all of these accusations surrounding him. And the only reason the flash is coming out because it's too late to not come out. So it kind of has to come out and it's kind of gross a little bit, you know, and, and it does bother me, but then I, I really do believe you got to separate the artist from the art because then what art can stand. And also one of my mentors, he always says, you know, maybe what this person is putting out there as far as art maybe their artwork is the only good thing they have to offer society that's a very positive outlook it is right so it's like why take that away like that's the only good thing they bring to humanity so so do you admire hitler paintings uh i've never seen them but they seem like okay (laughs) (laughs) i think i've seen okay i've seen one it's the one where he painted the town 
Yeah, I think that's the one I've seen. And I was like, eh. Yeah, it's okay. It's a painting. (laughs) It's not like, oh, wow. But so, and I think that is, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's actually really important to kind of think about because I think each person has an obligation to humanity to better it. That is very altruistic. And I, you know, I like it because. I hope someday they'll think of that about us. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, damn, that bastard Tom. But at least he gave us dickhead. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think one thing, uh, people are in this, especially in today's society, and I, I hate generalizing because I think that's really dangerous. Well, everyone else is doing it, so why not us? Yeah, but I think <laughs> a lot of things is it's just, um, it's just like uh, everyone is just so quick to... Uh, just jump to conclusions, write people off. Oh, yeah. And also there's no empathy in, in today's world when it comes to like media and sharing and things like that. Like, yes, Ezra Miller's a bad person, but maybe he really needs some help. And also let's help the victims. Like we're making it all about him. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, we're making it all about him. And also it's like, well, let's, you know, watch the flash, but say fuck Ezra Mills, uh, fuck him while you're watching it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and then, you know, just he's probably not gonna get a job again in Hollywood. But, you know, like let's at least if he may if he just so happened to be in a good movie and he played a good role, we could celebrate that the movie was good without having to necessarily admonish him. And also, you know, maybe he did a good job. Would you cast one of these controversial figures? Like, for instance, one person if I had the opportunity to work with, although maybe that's changed now again because of what they've done. But it would be like, damn, that's really cool. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. So would you want to work with one of those people who have kind of like done some pretty atrocious things? Because, you know, like he shot dogs for fun. <laughs> Was that confirmed? That's what his girlfriend said. And he didn't deny it. Well, yeah. Well, dude, Shia's been through some. That guy. Yeah. No, he's been through. I saw Honey Boy. Which is supposed to be based on his life. He's yeah. been through some shit. I'm not saying Ezra Miller but, as well said said yeah. that they've been through some shit. True, and then, and then that's not an excuse. Kevin Spacey said he got diddled yeah. as a kid, but uh, then, and that's not an excuse to. Uh, you remember Seventh Heaven? Yeah, yeah. That dad. guy. He said he got fondled by some hot chick when he was a kid, and it fucked with his head. I mean, a lot of these. Why pred- don't the hot chicks fondle me? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these predators have fucked up things that happened to them in their past, right? Yeah. That really distorts their perspective. Now, I'm not a professional or anything, but it seems to be that kind of correlates. But to go back to your question, um, no, I don't think I would. I guess it depends on who. <laughs> uh, like to, what they've done right, or, what or they, their ability. Yeah, exactly. What they've done. Um, like Louis C.K., I got no problem with Louis C.K. I don't even really think he did anything bad, personally. Yeah. I mean, he just jacked off in front of people who said, sure. And I also don't believe that people are just, you don't just get to write people off. Everyone gets a chance at redemption. Oh, I hope so, man, for us, our sake. Yeah, for, for, I mean, just for everybody. Nobody is fucking perfect. No, not at all. And we all should get at least a chance. I mean, okay, there's there's only, but I mean, of course there are, Limits to this, you oh, know. Oh yeah, like fuck Bill Cosby. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Bill Cosby doesn't get to really redeem himself. He, if even if he spent the last remaining five years of his life or whatever, like 
curing cancer, we'd still be like, "Uh, Bill Cosby, pretty fucking gross." <laughs> Could you imagine? He, he cured. He cured, Bill Cosby did cure cancer, but also, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, like that. We it would be like, whoo. Yeah, that's that's a rough one, man. That's a immovable object meeting the uh, what's it called? The, the unstoppable force. The unstoppable force. And it was just his unstoppable force was rape. Like, anyway. Yeah, it's just like, huh, yeah, you, uh, that's, there's some hard, there's definitely some, uh, as Sisyphus would say, there's some hard mounds to climb, <laughs> you know, sometimes that rock keeps rolling back down, but I do believe humans deserve a chance, uh, yes. because we're all, fu- we're all pretty fucked, uh, there aren't, there's no, you know, even, you know, they're like, there's no Mother Teresa's, and then you're like, oh, well, Mother Teresa wasn't that great, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you find out about her, I guess she was a pretty awful person. Yeah, and it's like, like, yeah, she did some pretty bad shit to. Although uh, I don't know how true any of that missionaries. Is and that's what I'm saying. Like, also one of the things too is we don't really know the tr- the real truths about a lot of these things, and yeah. you never will. Yeah, and that's and, and truth is subjective too. Truth, right? yeah. oh, some truths are yes. Right. Well, I was listening to like some philosophers talking about truth and coming to the some of them coming to the conclusion that there is no such thing as truth. Well, I, I do believe really in, no such thing as fact. I oh, I don't necessarily believe that. Well, because even your own memories change, you know. Oh yes, yes, but I, I do believe if you're holding one object. Well, because me and that one object, of my exes, we got in this big argument about a fight we had way back when, and she was like, "Well, you did this and this and this." And I was like, "What? That's <laughs> not what we got in the fight about. It's because you did this and this and this." And I was like, "Damn, am I misremembering that whole event? Like, did I create an entirely..." Like a complete false narrative of what happened? No, they did, buddy. They did. That's what I'm saying. She did. No, but, well, to be fair, yeah, yes. Especially when it comes to human perception. Yeah. It's rough. But I do believe there are objective truths, right? Math is pretty objective. Like, we can measure, like, measure an inch is an inch because we all agree that's an inch. And it's repeatable, like right there is. What if that inch goes into a black hole and gets stretched out like spaghetti? Well, then you would be able to measure that the inch changed form or transformed. It's not transforming; it's still an inch. (laughs) (laughs) See, now you're getting into your subjective reality. (laughs) Oh, who would you hire? Who would you? Who would be the one? Who would be one of those people that you'd be like, okay, you're not too well? I know you said Louis C.K. That's a little too easy. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he he got pretty bad there. He got pretty racist. <laughs> Hulk, yeah, but it's Hulk Hogan, and also you'd want to work with Hulk Hogan. No, not anymore. Like <laughs> I don't just because he's old. <laughs> Can I go back? Nineteen eighties Hulk Hogan. Hey, brother, he uh, was in Rocky, right? Yeah, he was yeah, in Rocky f- three. Three. Yeah, he was in Rocky three, or maybe he was in Rocky two. I don't know, but he picks up Whichever Rocky. Whichever one has a uh, clubber lane. That's number three. Yeah, he just picks up Rocky and throws him. <laughs> he suplexes yeah. and shit. And Rocky just gets his ass beat because Hulk's like doesn't like him. <laughs> yeah, he's Hulk's like take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> Why you hurt me, man? This is for charity. <laughs> I don't do charity, brother, <laughs> or whatever he says. Uh, maybe a little Macho Man in there, but yeah, you know, <laughs> hmm. I'd have to think. Honestly. Like, well, I mean, because the thing is, it's like, 
it's just now that a lot of this stuff's becoming more unacceptable. I, I I'm thinking about uh, back in time, like Matthew Broderick, right? Oh, killing just someone, murdering people in Europe, and then just fleeing. Like people have been working with Woody Allen for years. Roman Woody Polans- Allen's a big one. Well, Roman Polanski. Yeah, I mean these guys have, are still making movies. Well, that's I, why a lot of people hate Hollywood too, though, right? Oh, it's a cesspool. You know, it's like fuck you, you disgusting fucks. Because Roman, I, I, uh, I don't know what it's called, but there's this YouTube channel that does mini documentaries on like atrocious crimes by known figures. Mm-hmm. And they had one. I watched the one on Roman Polanski, and it was like, damn, I didn't know he was that bad. I mean, I know he diddled a kid, but hearing the specifics of it and what. You know, going into some real detail on things. Yeah, at Jack Nicholson's house. Yeah, and he was just like completely unapologetic about it all. And it was just... What's the big deal? I'm What? I'm from Europe. We do that to the 13-year-olds. They like it in the butt. And it was just (laughs) like, fuck, man. Like... Yeah. My wife died. Don't... (laughs) Okay, shit. I got lonely. (laughs) And it's like, like, I don't know, Roman. Yeah. I don't know about that. You make a good movie, but god damn. You know, they only like them while they're making good movies, right? Yeah, once you make a shit movie, you're fucked. I remember there there was a quote where it's like, they only love you when you're on top making hits. The second you make it stinker, they abandon you faster than they abandon their dinner when it's cold or some shit. I don't know. So speaking of cold... Yeah. In AI news, Adobe Premiere, which actually we I think we mentioned this before, has introduced text-based editing using the Sensei AI, where a transcript of the footage is created, and you can select the transcribed section mm-hmm. you want and load it into the timeline, and it inserts the footage with that section. Right now, it seems best for streamlined videos like event videos, from what I saw of the demo. Uh, or maybe YouTube content, which is a little more streamlined recording, you know, mm-hmm. and not so much for fictional narrative. So with that said, what are your expectations of it and hopes for it to become? And do you think this might put an editor at risk? I don't think this puts an editor at risk, but it definitely puts all their assistants at risk. Uh, I think yes. the most promising aspect of this is to essentially be able to quick and uh, get quick scenes put together for review done by an AI instead of us having to do it by hand. Yeah. Right. Imagine being able to be like, okay, this is the sequence. The dailies. This is the dailies. I want to see every take cut together in every possible combination. And then you get like 69 different combinations or something. Well, it doesn't look like it does that. It looks like it literally does a transcription of the footage. And then you literally... select that section and then it drags it into the timeline. So it's not so much like you're typing it in a prompt like chat GPT. It's oh, more like, okay. oh, you're just seeing it displayed in text. And then you're using the text to then add in the scene. Okay, interesting. I I don't know exactly how it works, but that would be my hope, I guess. Yeah. Is because to me it's like it, what the best part, the best thing about these AI tools, and I was kind of getting into this on our chat with Alex a little bit uh online is is that these are tools that eliminate laborious man hours. Yeah. Because guess what? Some of this stuff just takes forever. And yeah. n- that's the best part about these AI tools 
is it reduces the amount of time that we have to labor over something. And it gives you more choice and creative freedom because you're not just, oh, let me add the scene. Let me sync it. Let me do this. Let me do that. I mean, we've been using tools to auto-sync like... uh, What's that? The syncing? Uh, pluralize. Pluralize. We like right tools like before tools like that. You have to do all that shit by hand, and mm. and shit. we are doing it by hand on Dick Dickhead. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't. Fucking awful. Yeah, and and it, yeah, it's awful, and it also makes it really difficult. And like no scratch audio, things like that it makes it really hard to just drag a clip in and kind of like play with it. Yeah, it's like a ten minute setup just to see a take. <laughs> not a ten, not ten minutes. It's not ten. Minutes. It's, it's more not, like. 30 seconds. It's yeah, but but that's 30 seconds times how many takes? Over 900. So there you go. Right, right? So there's over like we have over 960 something shots. And, and then so, how many takes of that, right? No, that's the all the shots. Oh, so okay, that's every okay. take, every scene, everything. How it's like there's like 900. So like 900 times 30 seconds is a lot. <laughs> yeah, let's see how many seconds that translates into. Yeah. So what I'm saying is uh, the wonderful thing about these AI tools is it's like, hey, Yes, that might cost someone their job, but it's a job. 27,000 seconds. Then divide that by 60 and then divide that by 60. That's actually a much smarter way to do it. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of hardcore sci-fi novels lately, and they do a lot of math. So that's seven and a half hours. Yeah. Strictly just for syncing audio. Right. That's one whole day. That's like a day of work. And then you have the, like, right? And that's if you make a giant timeline or whatever. And, you know, that's not counting breaks and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you're a human being. You, it's really hard to sync timelines for seven and a half hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Keeping a 30 second <laughs> average. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's going to be rough. Right. You're, I mean, we're, yeah. So you guys are, you guys are getting the point. That gets cut down to zero seconds because <laughs> it yeah. happens for you. You don't have to worry about it. You just drop it in and it finds and matches the yeah. wave. You the, go, I don't know, watch some, YouTube, get a drink, have dinner, come back, and it's all prepped for you, right? Yeah. And so the the thing that I'm excited for about these tools, and I would be curious to kind of see, I, this doesn't really sound like anything too useful for us, like you, like for fictional narrative, like you had in the notes. Yeah. But I'm excited for the tools just because, like, like I said, it's making us able to complete things easier, faster, yeah. and cheaper. Now, does it have as much control and as much oversight as like humans looking over everything. No. It's not there yet. No, but guess what? It's like I said, it's in its infancy. And two, the cool thing is it reduces the amount of hours that we spend on things that aren't really necessarily going towards the final product. Yeah. Like I was looking, some guys wrote, I was on, I saved the thread. I should send it over to you. But these guys wrote essentially the, an ingest auto script, which will rename and relabel all your scenes for you, the files. Mm-hmm. So it essentially replaces the job of a dit. Oh. So as you are copying over the files, it tags and labels all of the files. So you don't have to do it one by one. You don't have to open the scenes or anything. It will. It just does it as as long as you have uh, consistent um, naming. It will just go and rename and do everything for you. But how does it know where to place what and what to title what? You have to tag it. So you just tag this is scene three, and then it will rename all the audio, all the files. So you don't oh. have. So you just tag this is scene one, this is scene two, this is scene three, 
These are the video files. The, t- the top one is t- as long as they're in order, it will just go one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. And it will rename and tag all those. And it will do the same for audio. So you just have to tag the scenes wow. and then it will tag it will it will finish the takes, renaming all the takes. Oh wow. So it just like the speed of that would just make labeling and stuff so much easier. Cause normally you have to open the file. Oh yeah. This is scene, blah, blah, blah. Okay, write it. Then you have to relabel it and rename it, relabel it, whatever. And that takes forever. <laughs> yeah, I think. As long as you open it up and you're like, oh, this is scene two. And then you just look and, okay, this is the end of scene two. Yeah. And boom. It really just, uh, and as long as, like I said, as long as they're in order, because sometimes though, that wouldn't work for how we did things sometimes. No, it would not work we with would, our. We would do like take three or four inside operations. of take one. And others do that too. Yeah. So it doesn't that would be a problem. Yeah. Uh but I think But then also you just write it in your uh script supervisor notes like hey take 3 also has take 4. Yeah. And then would auto label it cuz then you can just manually label it or auto Yeah. You Hopefully you're not doing that it. all the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um yeah, cuz f- for labeling the audio, I think I spent 2 weeks labeling all the audio cuz I could only do it for like an hour or two and then my brain went dead. Oh yeah. Dude, just doing re, uh, doing the, the videos. It was so fucking awful. Yeah, because you actually have to wait for that because I could skip around real easy but you would actually yeah, cause have you can, to search you can for essentially the skip to the slate, right? And then just go back like Well, no, because I was just listening to the view like uh, the quick view on Apple or on a Mac. Oh, yeah. So it just shows the uh, it doesn't show up waveform. Oh, okay. But I mean, you can just easily. It's it's not as hard as doing video. Yeah, and also and I, you don't have to pay attention like you do for video. Yeah, because you got to actually visually see it. And also, audio we were hear. terrible at slave. It's something yes. we're still terrible at. It's something we got to. Uh, even with the new, uh, the 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 reshoot that we did. Some of the thoughts, it's like, God damn it, we got it. Slate, we gotta not be so bad at slating. It really is very important. The easiest job. <laughs> We're so terrible at it. Right? Yeah. Just title it and say it. Yeah. That's all you gotta do. Yeah. And then it's yeah, it's like, God, it, it yeah, we need some we need we need a slate person that's like really tracking. Like that's one thing yeah. is that John was helping us with a lot. He was doing a lot of the slating and stuff. But yeah. it was just like, you know, we you have to shoot for the slate. And then shoot the scene. That's why if you want to do an end slate, uh, an end clapper uh-huh. or something, it's like so you can at least get the slate big in frame, in focus. So you're not, so you can actually see. Because we one, we got like caveman shitty handwriting. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, we do. Two, uh, we we would sometimes forget to change the, the slate number, but we would know that it was take two. So take two would be called, yeah. but it would say one on the board. Yeah. So you... Then you have to figure out which one was the actual one and which one is the actual two. Yeah. And then and it's like, so that's real bad. Yeah. Three. <laughs> right? Sometimes we wouldn't even slate. <laughs> There's just no slate. Yeah. There's no call out. Yeah. And you're just like, well, <laughs> buddy, good luck. Yeah, literally that happened <laughs> in one of the takes in scene six. And... uh there's like a loud clang heard in the scene. So that's what I used as the slate marker and then synced it up that way was just waiting for that clang. Yeah. Is that even a word? <laughs> and sure. 
And then that's what that's what I went off of. But oh god, dude, it's such a fucking nightmare. Yeah. So I the, hate ourselves every time I see the slates. Oh, oh yeah. Every time you know, it like pisses you off about your own self. You're like, you motherfucker. That, that's one thing that's been so agonizing about this project taking so long. It's just the, the length of extended self-loathing. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, fuck, if we were just better organized and, yes. and just took our time a little slower to make sure that that shit was taken care of, we would have saved ourselves literally years. Yeah, literally years. Literally Although, years of our lives just dealing with the agonizing organization and... Because that one of that's one of the problems that makes things so difficult yeah. is because it's like sometimes and there's also stuff that's just unusable because we can't find the audio or yeah like, which things is like that. an issue right there's some audio that's just not yeah there and so even though we're we could swear it's somewhere yeah so it's like organization 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 it will save you so much and AI helps with that. Sorry for the long tangent, but really, AI will save your ass because it fucking makes up for all of our oh, human man, mistakes. This guy definitely is buying into that AI shit. Well, I, the Look thing at is, him. well, listen, Stephen. Well, to me, my, have you heard of the good <laughs> AI Jesus? My big thing is is realism, and one, I know I'm an extremely flawed human being, so guess what. I want to have as much help <laughs> as I can. And if essentially having a robot that is mostly mistake proof or will at least help you catch your mistakes or, you know, it's like strength and weaknesses, right? You, yeah. you examine your strengths, you examine your weaknesses and you sure up your weaknesses so that, and then if you can't do that, you're going to be drowning in fucking in, in trouble. Well, I mean, I'll say like, I think one of the biggest areas, at least in my little experience where automation is heavily used is audio. Yeah. I mean, I'm not physically going in there and limiting things, you know, and what cutting peaks or anything like that. I'm using a limiter to come in and cut all the peaks. We're using clarity to come in and clean up all of the background noise. Like if you heard in Josh's interview, it was extremely windy, like a tornado and you barely hear the wind or there's other automation that, I used to use an automation that would close our uh, dead, dead's dead air. Yeah, a noise gate. Yeah, no, it's not a noise gate. That's something oh. else. Uh, but it would just like cut the timeline. But it, it was just a little too finicky, and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And we got better at talking. But you know, I was using automation for that. I use automation for getting rid of mouth noises, so you don't hear like too much. Sorry so about that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Fat people problems. <laughs> no, we've gotten better just in general with all of that. But I still do it just to, you know, make it sound as clean as I can. Mm -hmm. So there's just tons of automation I'm already using with an audio. You know, I mean, and in fact, the automation is almost so good. We could pretty much put an episode out. I just, I don't know. I just can't go without listening to the episode and getting in that little like clip there that's just not right. Like really fine tuning it. So. But, you know, if I if I didn't have to do that, I think I put in easily six hours on each episode, you know, just overall with everything. So, I mean, if I didn't have to do that, I'd probably only have to do like an hour or two at the most. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, back when we first started, you, it was taking you like 30 to 40 hours an episode. The worst episode was 100 hours. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just to think you could do like a hundred episodes now in that same time. And a lot of that is just AI tools. No, it's not just AI tools. It's also me actually learning. No, but it's it's (laughs) also you learning how to use those tools. Yes. And just knowing what those tools are. Like I'm sure we those tools a lot of those tools existed. We just had no idea. And well, I don't know about Clarity. I think Clarity is no, pretty more recent. No, that came out in like 2021. Yeah. But even before Clarity, I mean, the advances just with other uh, automation is insane. Yeah. So, I mean, to get on to the next topic and uh, get on to the writer strike stuff, AI is fantastic because it saves us time. All right. So you're pretty excited about it? I Yeah. <laughs> For, as a text editor? I yeah. Yeah, well, one thing is, I just, damn, dude, it, all I care about is, we don't have, we're humans, we have a limited lifespan. Yeah. I would rather have that time, spending that time producing content than fucking toiling over matching up clips and labeling and shit, like, you know, trying to figure out how to draw, right? And uh, doing the dailies and shit like that. Doing da- Trying to figure out how to draw. Just draw better, right? Like, I can't draw better than AI can. Is there someone that can? Yes, but it probably takes them two weeks to draw what, even if it's 10 times better. Also what they charge. Yeah, yes. And we're getting getting an approximation uh, of content. I mean, dude, that's some, you can't pass that up. You really can't. And yes, you know, we are uh, eliminating the human out of it, but it's it's eliminating the human struggle as well. And it's allowing more people to enter into those spaces, which is fantastic. But there it's double-edged sword too, because then we're just getting a lot of like everyone with any kind of idea kind of gets to join the space, which isn't great because that means all those shitty ideas that you guys have out there about making 10,000 Star Wars shorts. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, I have a Star Wars short, which isn't really short, just me fucking around with audio effects. But, right, like, and it's all those, like, all the fan fiction writers and people out there, not to sing about the Star Wars fans. I just like sitting on Star Wars. It's so easy. Which I guess means I should try a little harder. I should aim a little I should aim for the, the the stars a little bit, but talking about writing and ideas, buddy, why don't, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the aim for uh, the stars? He says, "Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the WGA and what's been going on with all that?" Yes. So, the big news in Hollywoodland is the WGA has officially gone on strike. Now, we did cover the possibility of this and what the concerns of the WGA were, and now they have decided to strike. Uh, So I'll actually kind of go over what they have to say. So the 2023 pattern of demands from the WGA on March 7th, 2023, the 2023 pattern of demands were, was approved by the WGA members. 98.4% of them were uh, voted yes on it. So for compensation and residuals, Increase minimum compensation significantly to address the devaluation of writing in all areas of television, new media, and features. Standardize compensation and residual terms for features whether uh, released theatrically or on streaming. Address the abuse of mini rooms 
ensure appropriate television series writing compensation throughout entire process of pre-production, production, and post-production. There's a whole lot more, everybody. Yeah, not too much more. Yeah. Expand protections to cover all television writers. Apply MBA minimums to comedy variety programs made for new media. Again, I think that's the streaming kind of st- TikTok stuff. Yeah. Increase residuals for undercompensated reuse markets. Restrict uncompensated use of excerpts. Mm. Pension plan and health fund. Increase contributions to pension plan and health fund. For the professional standards and protection in the employment of writers. For feature contracts in which compensation falls below a specified threshold, require a weekly payment of compensation in a minimum of two steps. Strengthen regulation of options and exclusivity in television writer employment contracts. Regulate use of material produced using artificial intelligence or similar technologies. Enact measures to combat discrimination and harassment and to promote pay equality, revise and expand all uh, arbor, arbitrator. <laughs> God damn it! Fucking stupid. So, what does all of that mean? So, this is from the Associated Press, and it's basically an ex, an uh, explanation of what they mean. So, the Guild claimed an existential crisis that writers are facing a host of new issues brought on by streaming and other recent technological shifts in the industry. So mostly they want increased pay. Uh, the guild is seeking higher compensation due to inflation. Rider and pay, rider pay has declined fourteen percent in the last five years. The median weekly rider producer pay is down twenty three percent over the last decade, with inflation factored in. Riders say many of their members aren't even making a living wage, so they are seeking increases in pension plan and health fund. Uh, Also, they want better residuals. For more than half a century, residuals have been a foundational way for writers to make money, but streaming has upended the payouts. Reruns meant a big payday. However, streaming services also generally do not share viewership data with filmmakers and writers, meaning writers do not know the value, uh, how valuable their work has been. So they want to replace back in residuals. The WGA is seeking more upfront fees. Also, with staffing requirements, the union wants TV shows to staff a certain number of writers for a period of time. Issue is the rising practice of many rooms where only a handful of writers are working on a series. Such writer rooms are often employed during development before a show is greenlit. That means writers can be working on a series that doesn't get picked up for as much as a year after they've worked on it. And then... To continue on with uh, mini rooms. And this has circumvented some of the protections that WGA members have from being uh, overworked and understaffed. Now, I know it's a little dry, but this is what they're talking about. It, and, you know, it is pretty it serious for, for the writers. And they were saying that during the pandemic, mini rooms were definitely uh, excel- accelerated, I guess, the use of. And then for shorter exclusivity deals, writers might have once expected to spend almost a year working on a 20 to 25 episode season of a TV show. Now the average season is much shorter. Uh, They listed as an example uh, in Bridgerton uh, only had like eight episodes, 
which diminishes a writer's pay uh, per episode. It can limit them. It can also limit them from working on other programs if they're tied to longer terms of exclusivity. Also, lastly, the Associated Press states in their article titled, What Do Striking Hollywood Writers Want? A Look at Demands. Also, they stated assurance on AI. Essentially, artificial intelligence to write scripts or at least fill in the blanks of unfinished screenplays. Uh, That writers are very concerned about that. But the WGA wants production companies to agree to safeguards around the usage of AI. Now, that pretty much sums up what they're going on strike with. And this seems, I mean, this is pretty big. I mean, the last writer strike really impacted a lot of shows, a lot of late night shows I always hear talked about Yeah, in the writer strike. And it lasted 100 days. 100 days. And something I think, if we're going into like the, the uh, personal opinions on this, are we get entering that segment of this talk? Uh, let's see. Because I think let's see in my notes. Power to the people. That's what I wrote. So I think I can actually take a a pretty strong devil's advocate here as a writer. Um, I think it's sometimes. I think there's two things that is being that is overlooked quite a bit, and one that's the nature of media today. I think a lot of it is, like you said, people are like, oh, back in the day, we'd make 23 episodes a season. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, st- streaming services don't have the same revenue and intake as cable television back in the day. Because of advertising. Because of advertising and also uh. cable packages and all that th- and things like that, right? That that was huge and that generated tons of money. I don't know if stream, like the thing is too, is we don't, know the numbers that was mentioned in the thing yeah that's true we don't know right like not to say they can't be found right but we just don't know but netflix and and it's like it's is is what they're asking for holding on to the past it's kind of like with musicians and spotify you adapt or die kind of thing was just thrust on them because the technology was happening and either you adapted or you died not necessarily saying that writers have to do this it's just something to think about and another thing too is like how badly and horribly, this affects below the line workers. Yeah, uh, writers doing this shuts down productions all over, which means all your gaffers, your crew, those guys are out of work just as long. Except they're not getting anything out of this. Yeah, writers are going to get more money, which is great. Well, they deserve, but they can great. go work on other projects, right? That already have a script. Those probably have crews, but. In, but like, you know, all the, you know, everyone that works on those late night shows, they're either going to get laid off or they're not going to get paid during this time. Did, did But didn't the late night show still go on during the writer's strike? I think they're shut down right now. A lot of those. I don't, well, I um, but not even just the late night shows, but a lot of shows and stuff are being shut down. Production is halting. And it's like, it's the sad. The thing is, it's like, yes, we need to strike and show unity with the writers because writers should be fairly compensated for their work. But damn, it's this is it hurts. It's hurting a lot. It's hurting a lot more people than, and it's like no, don't just go back to the, the thing. Is it's like, yes, we're with the people, but and fuck the executives because it, in the end of the day, they're the one like, and also fuck the actors. You know, this is something <laughs> that's been really. This is something that's really been bugging me. Yeah, through all this, where. I, Actors are like, we stand with you as they're like wiping their tears with like $300,000 bills. And it's like, 
you I know, be an actor. These above the line guys that you know act. The actors are making so much money. It's yeah. like we really need to redistribute the financial incentives in filmmaking because, boy, those above the line, the, those top couple people, it is so top heavy that it's disgusting. Like, it, you know, and yes, they are the face. They are the star. They're a lot of the times the selling force, the driving force. But, you know, have some fucking humility. Like, if you're going to take a $10 million payout, Five million ain't that bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know this, and maybe I'm talking out my ass because one, I don't really know, but I know personally, if we were on a crew together and they were like, "Okay, Tom and Steven, you wrote, you directed, so you're gonna get like four or five different paychecks," I'd be like, "Well, I wouldn't just." I, I would be like, "Well, I got enough to live. I got enough to eat. I ain't gonna starve. Why don't we make sure that's going on for our crew?" No, oh, absolutely, and I'd be like, "Look." Tom's already giving his share. <laughs> so, I mean, they're already covered, right? I mean, they got the bonus. But, like, do you, am I talking out of left field here? Like, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, A little bit because a writer is above the line. If we're talking about features. I don't know how they're I'm treated on a TV show. I'm not talking just writers. I'm talking about the people, all, all the crews that are suffering now. Well, because Keanu Reese is known to give the uh, crew some well, part of his... Uh, paycheck like he's pretty well known for that I mean I don't know I really don't know I don't know that's a tough one and I haven't really given it enough thought I know for me if I were to ever have the fortune of being paid to make a film I just like what Lucky McKee said I don't care to make it rich really I just want enough to survive and live hopefully not struggle Mm -hmm. be comfortable you know spoil my family and then i'd be content with that i don't need necessarily millions now granted if you're like hey mr steve you're a really good director he's 20 million dollars i'd be like well they make it 21 and now you got my attention good sir so i there's that element to it so i i i don't know i don't know i mean I want to say, yes, I'm with the little guy. And certainly all the above the line people are the ones who make the real money in this, right? Because like your gaffer or your best boy and all of those, I don't even know what the fuck those are, but they're probably making good wages, but they're not making, they're probably not making like million dollar wages where they're on a yacht. They got their mansion and shit. They probably just are really well off. Well, if you talk to any of those guys, you'll know that unemployment is one of their biggest assets to being able to keep doing what they do. Yeah. Because well, my cousin, he's an editor for ET. I mean, he's not rich. Yeah, he's. I mean, he definitely has money, and he's living like out in Pasadena, I think. Hmm. So you, you know, know he how, never paid for that dinner. <laughs> so you know how rich man. <laughs> how uh, how much the prices are because you've looked at homes, oh, yeah. places out there, millions. So. And and from what I've heard, I mean, he ain't living that lavish of a lifestyle. And he's an editor for ET who has he's has multiple Emmys. So I would definitely say, yeah, a lot of these people probably aren't getting paid what they deserve. And a lot of it's very, like you said, it's top end heavy. And I don't know if it's really deserving so. Uh, I think deserving so or not, it's 
you know, we're all in this together. And I will say, that's like, that's not how any business works, though. Dude. I mean, that's why I'm tell never... me one business, the company you work for. No. You think you're making more than the? Oh no. Okay. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. I, I know what people make. I, I have a fair guess. So um, I mean, that's how. It, I mean, literally, dude. Where I work, our fucker, president. Fuck him. I'll get fired for this, huh? Whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit. He's making like I think he's he's probably making around two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. To run the school, we bought him a house and a car to come up here and live here. We pay for his house and car. Motherfucker's making two hundred fifty thousand a year, and we bought him a house and a car. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's all upside down, man. I mean, and yes, this kind of maybe goes away too far from what the writers are struggling with right now. But it, I, I just keep thinking, like, man, it's the struggle is everywhere. Unless, yes, we have to stand together in unity, but. I haven't heard any writers be like, well, sorry, best boys. Sorry, grips. It's all yeah. like, where's my money? And I'm like, yes. Well, that's yes. that's also one of the negatives for any union, right? Because uh, any union only cares about itself. Yeah. Like where I'm at, we have three different unions. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Ain't none of those unions looking out for the other. Now, if they did, we'd be so much stronger and we have so much more bargaining, you know, chips to play with there on the table. But we don't, and we're always at odds with each other. And a lot of the unions, I think, probably are at odds with each other, right? And that's kind of the negative with with unions in that respect. But you also make a really good point. And there is an article on Variety about the writer's strike that I didn't read, but I put it in our show notes because it was too long. But you you make a really interesting point of maybe we're kind of looking at it in an archaic way, in an antiquated way, because TV's kind of dead, man. I mean, it's also I, completely different. How much of the youth is even watching TV? I don't watch TV. Do you? I all TV. <laughs> no, I mean actual TV. Like you're putting it on a TV channel and oh, you're watching it. Never. I it's been over a decade. Since I've watched actual yeah, TV, it's other than like sleeping in a hotel. It's been well over a decade. Yeah, except for stuff like that or being at my mom's house. It's been well over a decade since I've had TV to watch. And I don't think we're unique in that. I think that's many people of our generation and especially the younger ones than us. Yeah. So you you bring up a really good point. I don't even know how to respond to this because it's, it's so complicated. But I will say that you know, they do mention AI and it's kind of just quickly mentioned in one of the bullet points there for their demands. But I'm wondering if that might make things uglier because the writer strike you said lasted 100 days. That was what, a decade ago, I think, or somewhere around there, uh, early 2000s? 2009? 2009, somewhere, somewhere in maybe 2008, 2008, 2009. Would that be the double odds? Yeah. Be, yeah, somewhere around there, right? The odds. Uh, so, so that was 100 days, but what about AI, man? Who's stopping a producer right now being like, oh, yeah, you don't want to write jokes? Hey, chat GPT. Someone even did that because I'm on a Norm McDonald subreddit. Yeah. And they used AI to do a joke but with a mixture of Norm McDonald and um, Dennis Miller. Okay. And it was, it, the joke wasn't that bad. It kind of <laughs> sounded like a Norm McDonald joke. So what's to stop a producer or anyone from being like, well, you don't want to write? Here, Chet GPT, make me a funny monologue in the form of Jimmy Fallon. 
Well, the the thing that AI is really good at right now is facsimile. What's it, facsimile mean? Like a copy. Like a, oh, okay. Right, it's really good at copying. Is that where fax machine came along? No, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Um, no, I think fax is an abbreviation for something. Like fuck ass, extra, <laughs> extra hard or something. Uh, but, but no, like right, like AI is really good at. It's like, hey, learn everything you can about Jimmy Fallon. Let's say, let's just use yeah. him as an example. Learn everything you can about Jimmy Fallon. Now write me a hundred jokes like Jimmy Fallon. When we get to pick and choose what the best joke that he wrote, and guess what? It's something that's never been said before, because it doesn't plagiarize what it's learned. Mm. So he's it it it's gonna sound it's gonna make something new that is not something that it created in a sense so what ai is really good at is throwing everything in a blender and then like pulling out new things Mm -hmm. now sometimes when you throw a thing in a blender you pull it out and it don't look so good it's blended (laughs) but every now and then you you know you blend out and you get a smoothie right like every every now and then you get something nice and and that's what ai is great at is because it can extrapolate and hold information all at the same time, which is something we can't do. If you listen to every Jimmy Fallon joke, you might be able to get good, but you're not going to remember every single one at the exact same instance. You'll have the maybe timing and the understanding in the field, but you're going to remember the actual literal And then you might might even repeat one that's been said. But AI AI knows what's been said and it will not repeat it. And so you're always going to get something new. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 In fact, I was looking at some work today that I wrote. And I wrote like the same thing, just different. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is just like what I wrote that other time. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, I mean, why not use it? I mean, Jimmy Fallon's already out there. You can type him in. It's Now it's going to be up to him if he wants to appear. And mm-hmm. then if he doesn't show up, everyone... In the crew, are they getting paid? Because how are you going to have a show without the star now? True, yeah. I hope they're getting paid. Because the star's going to want to support the writers, right? I mean... Yeah. I think they would all want to support the little guy. So, so yeah, I think AI might make this a lot uglier than it would have been without it. Yeah, but this is also the combat against AI, is regulation. But you can't regulate this shit. Dude. Not forever. It, it's the fucking ocean. It's like putting the levee. You know, look <laughs> how that worked out. Yeah. I heard a great analogy. It's like uh, trying to regulate AI is like trying to find a toothpick in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to work for a little bit. It's going to slow production down, but it's, you're not going to stop it. it yeah. You just can't. It's just too, it's too amazing of a technology to be stopped. Yeah. The problem, yeah, you're right, but we're, and I think we're gonna go through probably a real dark. I mean, the problem is, so there's two things I've been thinking about now. And you got, and then I'm going off on a tangent. I apologize for this, but I'm going off on a tangent. And there's two things I've been thinking about. And one of those things that I've been thinking about that's been really sticking with me is writing has not been good <laughs> for the past. Uh, maybe we do need the AI five six years I think that's being generous and that's being generous so mo- I, the majority of the things that are being pushed out into the mainstream at least to my tastes are awful now subjectivity blah 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 my taste exceeds all 
Their writing, the writing has been bad. Yeah. Dreadfully bad. Now, is this a part of, is this, to, is this our writers to blame for this because of the poor working conditions and blah, 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 blah? Maybe. The second thing that I've been thinking about a lot with this is, um, damn, I forgot now. <laughs> damn, you were on to something, man. There was something there, but, but yeah, but the writing's not been great. Yeah. And so, as long as, oh, that's the thing. See him is that back peop- around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the people are consuming the content regardless, oh, which okay. makes me nervous for these writers because if they're writing like crap, and AI is writing crap slightly better than the crap. Mm-hmm. Guess what? <laughs> right? So it, writers really got to step their game up. But the thing too is like, I don't think this is necessarily on writers as much as it is on studio execs being cowards and not willing to take risks and or... And also probably rushing things out. Rushing so. things and having too much interference. Yeah. But I mean, damn, dude, like... The writers ain't writing like good. Maybe they could come up with some good ideas <laughs> on this break. Well, while they're in the picket line, huh? Yeah, dude. I've been thinking about that a lot. I was just like, there like I hate a lot of the stuff coming out. Oh, yeah. That I that's try- that's why I'm saying AI is gonna be so scary, man, because it's putting the writer to the wall, right? It's like, are you really necessary? Show us. I've seen what you've been producing. I, I one thing I will say. Uh, results that will speak for themselves, right? Yeah. Once we start seeing AI-generated uh, TV shows that were written by by AI, and if the if you know, judge them, you know, for the merit of their of their content and not for what you know how they were written. Separate the art from the artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <Ew>, gross. <laughs> what an abuse of that. <laughs> But I would say also when you use chat GPT and you had your competition, I thought you did much better, like way beyond better. But that's you allowing chat GPT to take the reins and create its own thing. But again, you know, a producer can still write. Anyone can write. Okay. Anyone can write. Anyone can come up with ideas and put them down. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, a writer probably is way more creative, has a much better way of putting it down. We're talking about film. We're not talking about a book here also. Yeah. So what's to stop? A pro- I mean, they're not stupid people. What's going to stop them from being like, hey, you know what? Fuck you, writer, dude. I got chat GPT here. And Absol- all I just need to do is curate it. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it that's why it's going to be very interesting because it's really going to be take good faith already for the companies to just not say, fuck you, let's see what happens without you. You know, it's so funny. I think if you would even ask me five years ago about AI and automation, I would have said it would have been the manual laborers, the white collar job or the blue collar yeah, jobs. Right. Those were the, the ones that we're going to worry yeah. about because they're going to make some kind of mechanical arm that replaces a worker. John Henry, you yeah. know, laying down the spikes. And it, the train you know, tracks. and I was just like, well, then we, we still have creativity. Yeah. But no, guess what? You know how humans create things? We make, we combine everything of, of our knowledge and we make something and new out of go it. From there, yeah. And guess how we train AI? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a crazy thing. It's like it, AI might, it's really going to hurt the white collared workers far more than the blue collared workers. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a wild thing that 
fucking arrogant assholes, right? And yeah. like, hey, we're too good to ever be threatened. It's gonna be you lowly mechanics. Yeah. You're the ones who are gonna and be in then trouble. It's like, nope. Guess what? The mechanic's gonna have a job. <laughs> it's like, look, bitch, I could turn a wrench like this and like this, and like a robot can't do that. Yeah. But and paralegal like, work? Yeah. And AI can read all the legal document, all the legal literature that there is to be a paralegal. And well, the thing is, it can read it and it can access all of that information in an instant. <laughs> yeah, in an instant, verbatim. Right? It's like so. And the thing, as and as as it gets better in recognizing context, it will be like, oh, there was a case from nineteen blah 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 that is, shows precedence for this, this, and this. And then you're like, oh, I guess I want my case precedence. Bye, bitch. You know, like yeah. And then, but the, but a human has to either know that knowledge or has to find that knowledge. And it takes much longer to find, you know, how many, all the law books and all the court cases and all the shit they have to read. AI has already done it. Yeah. <laughs> and it remembers yeah, instantly. It's in that database. Yeah. Fuck. So. Speaking of court cases and AI and paralegals. What? The criterion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good segue. <laughs> but I will also add that. Oh, yeah. Final, final thoughts on this. No, um, no. You summed it up perfectly. But I just wanted to say in our description notes. Uh, we're going to post a link that has the schedule and the locations of where picketing will be throughout, uh, what are we, May? Yeah, throughout May. Yeah. So if, it has been if making traffic shit, if by you the way. Support, so thanks for that. <laughs> it has been making traffic. So then I guess it's having an impact, at least in LA. <laughs> it's just making everyone hate the riders. <laughs> you fucking right. Chat GPT. Oh my god, dude! It's going really. To, it's been real bad going around downtown and all that shit this week has been awful. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't mind picketing. I wouldn't picket. I couldn't because I'm not a professional writer. But I wouldn't mind buying them like some little Caesars. Be like, bitch, this is all you're gonna afford soon enough. <laughs> yeah, but the thing too is a lot. Of, I mean, I don't know. A lot of those writer, a lot of those writers are still making a lot more money than we are. <laughs> well, I was seeing a breakdown on Reddit where. They were quoting like, and this is Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt. But they were saying like a writer making around twenty-five to forty-five thousand for a project lasting around like three months. And I'm thinking like, shit, you make that much in three months? Like, mm. dude, you almost make what I make in a year. You're just a little like, even at twenty-five thousand, it's like you're you, what you got to work six months, and you already make what I make. The thing is, and it's then, not guaranteed, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not guaranteed. Who knows where it's coming from? Who knows the dry spell? But also, the one of the things I don't get is, why do they got to live in LA? They're writers. And and this is me just being purely ignorant. I mean, do you... Because I wanted to bring this up. Like, when we interviewed Dominic Morgan, he talked about flying all the way from England to out here, right? To do his pitches and work and meet with distributors or studios, whatever. So do you actually have to, like, as a writer, do you have to be in L.A. and do a lot of face-to-face? Like, I, I don't know. I'll say so, to our I mean, listeners out there, like, do we have any writers out there listening that could answer this? Because I don't know myself other than that I know we hate non-person, in-person meetings. So maybe the producers and execs want to talk to people face-to-face. Yeah. And a lot, I, but also that it's becoming archaic. But also, it's like it's becoming and anachronistic. We need we're evolving. Yeah, you got we're you got to get used to that screen because guess what, man? 
the efficiency will almost always win out. It's really hard to get a guest and tell them, hey, can you come up here in person? Yeah. And you know how easy it is to be like, oh, you, oh, you can't, no, you have I a built in microphone. Can we do Zoom? Yeah. Yeah, we can. It's very easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. We can jump on Zencaster, our new host. Zencaster's <laughs> got a great platform for us to record your audio on. Yeah. And, you know, you can join their uh, partner program. Damn, we're doing ad reads already when I'm getting paid. Oh, uh, yeah, let's cut that. We're going on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Zencaster. No. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, seriously. I feel like a big problem is that we're a lot of people we're right now what the writers and what media is going through is kind of what music already kind of went through. But look how bad it is for the musician, dude. It's bad. Like it's great for Taylor Swift, maybe. It's great. It's great for the few, bad for the many. Yeah. But top end heavy again, like you were yes, saying. Yes. But it, I think the crazy thing too is it made a hu- a lot of opportunity for people. To at least try to make some kind of media. But I don't think that's true. I think it's like the oversaturation dilemma we talk about with streaming, where it's like, yeah, you can put a movie on Netflix or Amazon. We have friends who have films on Amazon. You think anyone saw them? And it's not to say that those films weren't good or anything, but there's just so many fucking films you can watch on Amazon. So it's like you pass by it. You'll never notice it. It's a drop of water in the ocean. And I think that's the sad part about where we're going. And that's just, that's the nature of technology is just the scale of things gets so big. Because it's interconnected with the whole world, right? Because we're talking about billions, right? It's the scale of large, massive numbers, right? So there's like, what, 8 billion people in the world now? Or is there seven? Eight. It's eight, right? So if even like 2% of those people want to make movies, that's like... Ten, hundreds of millions of, or yeah. tens of millions of people. You know how much content that is? You know how much content that means? Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. It's, it's actually probably larger than that, honestly. It's probably way more than like 2%. For, if you're talking about content, way larger. Yeah. And that, and you have to, it's like, wrap your head around that. But then it's like, maybe, but the I think as long as the ratio of viewers is more than the, the so as long as it's a more than one to two or whatever for viewers. Yeah, what's our ratio? <laughs> zero <laughs> point one 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 to zero. Zero point zero 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 one to two. Karen, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Big shout out to Karen, our number one fan. Number one. Uh, rumor has it she's getting a Tin Shadows podcast tattoo. Oh. But uh, rumors are. I wonder where. Rumors. Yep, maybe Stephen will find out and he will report back. <laughs> maybe not. He'll investigate. All right, change the subject. Uh, talking about reporting back, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But Criterion is back. We yes. actually watched a Criterion. Look at everybody. We can make do on our promises. Now, we did watch it very poorly. Oh, yeah. I think I, I. You've passed out. You were snoring. I snored. Once and, and it, it woke, woke you me up because <laughs> I you're like <sighs> and then yeah. you looked real scared because you didn't know where you were <laughs> yeah like, I home? yeah it was like we were we were uh, we had just podcast and edited and it was like three in the morning you were like hey let's go throw on twelve angry men and I was like let's do it so guess what we're oh, talking yeah. about twelve angry men to be fair it's a movie we've both seen before it's a movie it's a film we've both seen. <laughs> Before uh, we watched it again, 
And while we may not have gained any insights <laughs> during this viewing... Oh, no, I barely remember. I actually wanted to watch it again last night, but... I decided to watch Nummy play Magic. But, uh, so... I mean, we, I, I can definitely, I definitely feel good talking about it. I don't have no problem talking about it. And also, yeah, it always stuck with me. It's a feel, yeah, it's one, even though I was pretty fucked up, I still think we've been thinking about it. And there's still some stuff that are, that is very strong about that movie that bounced out to me the time, this time that we watched it, that wasn't before. So, yeah. In fact, I would say to interject, um, I think that might have be okay. King Kong's the first old film I've ever seen. But I think that might have been one of the first, like, pre-80s films I had ever seen. No, 70s, because I had seen, like, Star Wars and The Godfather and Halloween and all that shit. But yeah, that would have been one of the first pre-70s films I had ever seen was 12 Angry Men. And I remember watching it with my mom. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, films can be like this? You know? And then watching it again... I will say, I think overall within the list, especially where it sits in the list, because like Aliens right around there. And Dead stuff center. Like yeah, it's literally uh, number 50 on the list. I think Alien was before it, right? Yes. So, you know, you're going off of Alien to follow this a little, to jump ahead a little bit, is Psycho. So, 12 Angry Men's kind of this, it's a great film. Just put that out there. But it sits in a weird spot, right? Because it's this quiet film. And within the regards to the, its place on the list, it's a lot more quiet than a, a lot of the other films. It's, where they're very much in your face and you're like, oh, I see why this is great. Like even What um, do you think of this adjective? It's very simple. Yes. It's yes. literally 12 men. That's why it's like quiet, right? It's just yeah. simple. It's 12 men in a, in a room, room talking. Yes. There's like three non-shot. There's like three shots of them not in that room. Maybe four. There's the outside the outside the room. What's the other one? The sentencing of the they guy. They show that? Uh, they show the guy for like a split second. The defendant. Oh, yeah. He's this weird looking yeah. dude, right? Yeah. They I would have said They show guilty. him for like a split second. And then at the end, I think they show them leaving. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like outside is yeah. them saying goodbye and walking down the steps. So yeah, like I I I don't the know room. the the exact count, three or four. But let me just give it a quick introduction of what we're talking about. So this is the Criterion Top 100 film list that we watch, review, understand, and study about essentially some of the 100th greatest films ever. And they just so happen to be these are also presented by Criterion. So this film is the 50th film on our list, mm -hmm. and it is directed by Sid Lament, and this is the film 12 Angry Men. It was made in 1957. No, 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 no. Read the notes there. These are my notes to read. You are supposed to tell us the synopsis. Oh, I can. I, I, this is just off the top of my head. I didn't even read your notes. I'm really? Sorry. You were reading it verbatim like I wrote it. No, uh -oh, that's how we're twin shadows. <laughs> Okay, you so inside my head. That's it. Now let me give you the synopsis because it's a really easy and quick one, which is great. Yeah, um, it is. Huh? So the synopsis is a poor young man, I believe he's eighteen years old, is a, is accused. That motherfucker was 18? eighteen. Damn, yeah. times were, times are were rough back then. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah he, he looks forty. He looked like Don Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> so a young man is accused of murdering his father. And this is essentially the the film is just about the jury 
convicting the defendant without um what is that without reasonable doubt right yes so the judge because that's that's and the they're sentencing not only that's are they the convict other, him of the yeah. crime they're sentencing him to death. death right so the opening is the judge saying if you find this defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt he will be given Execute. the maximum sentence of death so which raises the stakes immediately right you're talking right. about a man's life now and so that then we get into the film and the film becomes an examination on the nature of the justice system humanity and just and it's, the thing the two is like everything is played so almost two dimensionally almost stereotypically no every, mm-hmm. no character is really a person as much as they are a representation of, of something a, of a night of a character which is something right? we uh, should probably lean into more on dickhead because you were saying things are getting a little two-dimensional but maybe that's because it's a representation and more of the whole than it is as a person okay then sell it to me when we <laughs> work on that okay <laughs> maybe we could do something like that and that could save us our save our rear ends if we can kind of pull yeah, off that representation off, sure. so you have the cast yeah because 12 angry men because again to go off of that as you're getting into the cast you don't know anything about these men Literally, you find out in snippets about them throughout the film, but we know nothing about these men because they're jurors. And yeah, if you've jurors. ever served on a, in a trial, you're not really hanging out with people, chit-chatting. I know I didn't. No. You don't know anything about them. Actually, you're instructed not to. Are you? Yes. Okay, that's why we didn't talk. I don't remember. It was a long time. I only did You're once. not really supposed to fraternize as, with the other jury. Yeah, and if we did not, I didn't know anything about them. You can kind of figure out who they are by the way they talk. Right? And by what they say. Mm -hmm. Just like 12 Angry Men. So within this film, you know nothing. They kind of... Yeah, that's really good at... That weed's... It's doing you good, but... (laughs) Yeah, they they kind of are two-dimensional, but... Well, we'll get into that more later. But we all... They're they're two-dimensional, but Sidney the Man, the writer... Not as a criticism, though. Not a criticism... Well, no, because they're a representation of the... The overall theme and metaphor. Kind of just bias and the type of people out there, right? Yeah, right. Every like, there's every type of person in the jury, which is perfect because that's supposed to be what a jury jury is, is, right? A jury of your peers, which is a a representation of America, right? right? So, and all that is done. But the clever writing, and the reason why this isn't the most boring film ever, is as the film goes on, you explore and it breaks down the stereotypes. Yeah, but the way it breaks it down is by kind of showing you how these stereotypes can exist in the first place. The why. Yes. Why this comes into existence. Why this person exists. And he's not just, you know, that and the the beautiful aspect of this too. You're making me want to watch it again. (laughs) None of these characters have a name. No. They're juror one through 12. You do learn two of the characters' names at the very end as they they introduce – uh, it's the juror, Which is so poignant. the first juror that turns because the question represented by juror nine is like, we should really think about this before we murder someone or not murder, yeah. but sentence uh, someone to death. Well, if you're sentencing someone to death, I mean, because everyone is like, so should we talk about, should we do a full plot breakdown? It's pretty quick, but yeah, if you'd like to, because I also do want to go over some of the facts in case people want to know. All right. You know what? I'll save that for the end. Yeah. So, a uh, quick uh, 
like breakdown of the full plot. So we did the quick synopsis or we did a quick plot outline, which is just, you know, the 12 men in the room. Uh, so a quick breakdown of actually what happens in the film. Spoilers for 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Uh, should they? How long do you think it'll take? Five minutes, 10 minutes. Skip 10 minutes to be safe. Trust me, we'll be on some sort of tangent. Yeah. So the film starts off really with a tally of the votes. Guilty or not guilty. There's 11 not guilties. Or there's 11 guilties and one not guilty. It has to be mm-hmm. unanimous to sentence for death and to sentence for guilty. And so they go around, who's, who wasn't, who's not guilty, blah, blah. And that's where Henry Fonda comes in. Great role, great actor. Yes. And he pretty much gives his little spiel about how we should really take our time in deciding the fate of another person. If we just casually throw this away, this young man will just be sentenced to death and his life will be, you know, for nothing. And this sways one person. So pretty much sort of, they're all like, fuck you, dude. Like, right? Well, yeah, because they want to they want to get the fuck out of there, right? Lee, it's, it's, Lee J. Cobb, he's like a fucking hateful, very hateful, angry, very yeah. angry. He's like the angriest of them all. Well, you also got to set it up, right? Because it's... Oh, very hot. It's a very hot... Is it summer? A very hot yeah. summer, like Friday in New York. And they got to decide if they're going to sentence this person to death. They all pretty much know how they feel, except for that one man. And so they just want to get the fuck out of there and go about their day, right? Because let's be real. If you ever serve on, on a jury, it fucking sucks and you want to be done with it as soon as possible. Yeah. And so he convinces another juror that like, you know what? You're right. Because he was like, if everyone votes not guilty, they take a vote again. If everyone votes guilty, I'll say guilty and we'll be done with it. Is that how he, he said? Yeah. He sets it up. And so then the juror that's sitting across from him, I think. After it's, giving his argument, it's, too. I think it's number 10 or something. Whatever. I don't know the, the juror. The old guy. The old. Well, they're all pretty old, I think. But but that guy, he died like a year after the film. Yeah. He probably died during filming. And they just, <laughs> replaced, they just left body. his corpse yeah. there. Uh, but this guy, he's like, you know what? He's convinced me. Not necessarily of the man's innocence. It's the worst thing, way to be convinced. He He convinced me that we should at least discuss it. No, his his reason was, well, he seems so sure about it. I'm going to go along with him because a, of how his conviction. No, that was a different guy. That was the old guy. The old guy. The first guy to turn was like, I'm, I'm, you know, he's right. We should the talk about it. The first guy to turn was the old guy. Yes. And he's like, we should talk about it. His was strictly his conviction. That too. Yes. Sure. Whatever. We're, we're arguing about this, but whatever. Let's move on. So, <laughs> so the one guy's convinced. Right. He's like, let's let's at least discuss. Mm-hmm. Let's go over the details of the case. Because and one thing that's not really said, which would probably be brought up if the film was rewritten today, is that this fucker's got a public a defendant because he's poor. We know mm-hmm. he's poor. We know he, he's you know, he's young. He doesn't have Johnny Cochran in his corner. Yeah. Right. He's got Joe Bob. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Steve Public Defender. Well, Chat GPT told me uh not guilty, sir. He probably barely had a he probably barely had an attorney at all. Yeah. So essentially Hen- Henry Fonda kind of almost steps in as his attorney, attorney yeah. to start presenting they start so they start going over the facts of the case, and then things are constantly get brought up, and this is when we start learning more about the characters. 
And as slowly as the film goes on, each juror is convinced and turned. And then we're really left with, there's the bigot, which I believe is played by Ed Bagley, who just really hates poor people. Uh, He's just like, those type of people, they're murderers and criminals. Like, who cares if we kill one less poor person on the street or whatever. And it's like- They're just the worst of society, right? Yeah. Uh And then everyone in the room is like, you're disgusting. And he's like, not guilty. (laughs) And then there's, you know, and then as we learn, and then there's the whole time, there's Lee J. Cobb. He's playing juror number two, I believe. And he's just like, you know, he's just angry. And it slowly, and he's probably the character that evolves the most. because he's then the we, cur- character who also gets revealed the most. Yeah, because we learn, like, he has a really horrible relationship with his son. Not even. You don't learn that until the very end. Yeah. And we, yeah, as, and we learn that, and kind of he's, uh, changing, he wants the the kid to be guilty because he believes it of his own son to degree that his son could yeah. murder him because there's, he's yeah, there's so a, abusive. There, there's a hatred towards his own son, and yeah. he's taking it on this kid that yes, this kid killed his dad. He's a piece of shit, just yeah. like my kid. Yeah, and so the film calls in the question like eyewitness testimonies and how stuff can be missed and kind of how dirty the prosecution is. Like I kind of got that vibe. Where they didn't like, they're just like, oh, she saw because there's a witness, an eyewitness, yeah. and it's and they reveal slowly reveal that you know she was asleep, she saw it through a train window, no, no, she no, wasn't no. wearing glasses. See, you're one of those ones who you're like the old man. You got convinced right away to Henry Fonda. <laughs> you know whose side I'm on? Yeah, who's the bigot? No, the <laughs> uh, the main baddie number two. Oh, Lee J Cobb. I'm on Lee J Cobb's side, and you know why? Because throughout the film, they're giving all the facts, right? Yes. Of the trial. And we're following along with Henry Fonda as he's giving exposition of what's happening through the trial. And then through that, he's coming up with conclusions on how the evidence is in fact wrong. Or not necessarily wrong. wrong, But but there's doubt. doubt. Because that's a big part of the movie. It's it's not that it's wrong. It's just that can we be 100% sure about this? Right. With this evidence placed here, can we be 100% sure about this? No. No, it, no, no, no. Because the We're result solely, of their determination is the highest of... Uh, it it has to be yes. There yeah. is no doubt. Because and he's just trying to prove doubt. Right. Now, that's the biggest issue I have with this film. Because as a juror, when I served, I could have sworn you're only supposed to go based off of the facts presented in the case. And you're really not supposed to go too far outside of that. Correct. Now, these motherfuckers would be like, now, you remember when he she saw the murder? Well, there was a train passing by, right? How long does a train take to pass by? Let me count the seconds. Uh, I think that's about right. Ten seconds, right? So she couldn't have seen the knife stab her to the father. So she's compromised. Oh, wait, she was old, right? Yeah, old people wear glasses, right? No. All it, old people wear glasses. They noticed the the he noticed the indentations oh, uh, uh, on the that eyes. She did wear glasses. Who goes to sleep with their glasses on? And it's like, yes, Henry Fonda. Who does go to sleep with their glasses on? Your optometrist tells you never go to sleep with your glasses on. Guess who always goes to sleep with their glasses on? Every motherfucker who wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're always yeah. falling asleep with their glasses on. So that's why I kind of side with Lee J. Cobb because he's like, listen, Henry Fonda, you good-looking bastard smoking in the corner. We have to go strictly off of the evidence presented to us. And Henry Fonda 
I kind of see him as a secret bad guy. Maybe that's where the conspiracy theories come in, right? That yeah. he was the one who killed the kid's father and he has a guilty conscience. Yeah, because he has the knife. <laughs> yeah. He has, oh, yeah. That's the thing, right? The biggest evidence was the kid had the knife. He, he had he, recently purchased, purchased uh, a knife that was in his dad's eyeball, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. What to, <laughs> we'll necessarily. say that for sensationalism. Yeah. And then Henry Fonda presents, boom, the same knife on the table, and that's what shifts every... That's literally what causes the doubt in the entire room. Right. Because he has the same... It convi- yeah. Similar. Very similar. Same I don't knife. think it's the same knife. It's the same knife. Is it? Same knife. They bring the knife in because they couldn't examine the evidence. He has the exact same knife. And yeah. he's like, look at this knife isn't as rare as you think. It was $3 the, in Chinatown. Yeah, I just bought it. So, so there's that element where it's like, look, dude, that you're going off of evidence that was never presented in the case to come to this determination. Now, granted, I would want you as my juror because <laughs> you're going to save my life. But I don't know if that's necessarily what you're supposed to do as a juror. You're kind of going way above and beyond Oh, absolutely. And creating your own narrative. But he's the voice of reason. He represents... He wasn't reason. No, but he represents... He was like, I got this same knife in Chinatown. Look it. Innocent. Exactly. No! That's reason. He's the voice of reason and logic outside... He went too far, dude. He took it as logical as possible. Look, unreasonable doubt. Right? And he's like, guess what? I don't have... That's a big assumption that someone who doesn't fall asleep with their glasses on. Yes, but the that's whole, too big. But the whole point is, it ha- it's it doesn't have to be real or true. You just have to be there. Just has to be the chance. And this motherfucker was talking about truth. The in chance. Fact. There just has to be the chance. If yeah. there was a one percent chance that she didn't fall asleep with her glasses off, guess what? That means that there's some doubt. But with all of because this we're thing- sentencing a kid to death. Did you say the way he looked? Kill him. Kill him. <laughs> Because I think that's, and that's what the whole point of the film is. And that's what the point of fucking Harry Fonda's character is. Is we're deciding the fate of this human being. We're going to yeah. kill this fucker if he's guilty. Reg- if he deserves it or not, whatever. If what we decide here is what's going to happen. Yeah. And we should give that some thought. Not take the, it lightly. And and the whole, there's a character and it's, I love it. There's a character that, and he's so, he just flips instantly because as soon as the tide starts changing, he just, the whole point is he has tickets to a basketball game or something. A baseball. Baseball game. And he's like, I just want to get out of here. No, the baseball game ends. Guilty, not guilty. That's when he's just, that's when he starts uh, caring. Yeah, like, he's like, fuck. I missed the game, whatever. Yeah. I got tickets yeah, to the Yeah, that's Knicks. why he wants him to be guilty. Guilty, let's go. Let me catch <laughs> that game at Wrigley Field. Yeah, and then as soon as it starts turning into more non-guilties, he go, votes non-guilty. I'm like, why'd you vote non-guilty? I just want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. He doesn't even care. Like he could even at the end, right? He's just like, dude, I just want to fucking go. Yeah. If you're all gonna say not guilty, not guilty. Yeah. If you're all gonna say guilty, guilty. Yeah. Disgusting, right? Disgusting. But nature of humanity. That's probably the worst person, right? Because it's he so blase. He doesn't care. Complete apathy. Yeah. He could care less if like at least Lee J. Cobb had a reason to hate. Yes. Right. It was like this came from deep within. This guy. Apathy is, I don't is give a always shit. worse because there's no logical sense behind it. Yeah. He just is so selfish. The literal logic is me. Yeah. Me, me, me. Yeah. I want what's best for me. Right. Like even the, the bigot. 
Like, at least he has a reason. That he's like, it, as misguided and awful as his reason is to hate this guy, yeah, at least, wrong as at least, least, he, least he, he's caring. Yeah. And then as soon as, like, they they challenge him on it, he's like, yo, I am a piece of shit. Like, not guilty. It, that's true, too, right? Because it may, because this film's about people recognizing their biases. Yeah. And then being like, and choosing. And caring. Choosing the damn. right moral choice instead yeah. of doubling down and be like, nah, fuck it. Yes. I mean, it, it's so funny because like, I That's feel like- That's a very hopeful movie, right? Yeah. And it's that, the yeah, the movie is so optimistic. Because in reality. And it's beautiful because it is a fantasy. <laughs> yes, right? Because in reality, people just double down. Oh, we just fuck, it's, you're right. They're like, oh, the jury took seven minutes. <laughs> They decided someone's fate in seven minutes. Sure, the court trial could be long, whatever. But really, it, all that matters is you're presented the facts of the case. Because really, we, know we were talking about this a little bit before we started passing out. But it's like reasonable doubt is like, that's really hard to achieve, right? Reasonable doubt? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Because, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond a reasonable, that's very hard to achieve, right? Like I doubt everything. Like the fact that we commit so many guilty people to prison is insane. Yeah. It should be really, really, really hard. Well, is it that extreme? It's only that extreme for like it's in life everything. sentences and right. They like even for robbery, they have to convict you beyond a reasonable doubt. Oh, I thought it was just like, eh, like most like I thought they were, I yeah, thought it was the most likely doubt. No. It's really? all, it's always it, the case. It's always that. Because I remember the jur the judge asked oh, me a shit. trick question and made me look like an asshole. So when I was on jury duty, he said, um, if I were to ask you right now what uh you would uh accuse the, the defendant of, what would you say? And I was like, well, I don't know. I have no idea on the case. And he's like, well, that's the wrong answer. And I was like, uh, and he said, in America, oh, everyone is innocent until they're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And I was like, also, oh, that stuck with you. Huh? <laughs> and I was like, I know I'll never forget it. Wow. Cause I just sat there and I was like, I knew that. Of course I knew that. And that's what you were saying. <laughs> just stupidly. Right. That judge changed my life that day because I think about that all the time. And I'm like, if we give, if we treated everyone innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, Ezra Miller, how much empathy? Because that's empathy, it, yeah. it personified, right? Oh yeah. Because we're like we're giving you the benefit of the doubt that you are innocent. You're right. not this Bill Cosby. You cured cancer. There's no way you're guilty of any of these <laughs> salacious crimes you're charged of. Because, but then, I mean, of course, that calls in the question like things that never even make it to court. Well, there's also the real world where it's like, mm, I don't know. Bill Cosby looks pretty, <laughs> I well, heard this, you know, that yeah. seems pretty guilty to yeah, me. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, that, I mean, that I will, that will never leave my mind. I always, I think about that all the time sometimes because I'm just like, fuck, man, that's that is a really strong statement. Innocent until proven guilty. Wasn't yours like a murder thing though? No, it was a home invasion. No one got killed. No one got killed. Did you guys kill the home invader? He got life imprisonment. Yeah. For home invasion? It was like his third or fourth. That was fucking three and strike law bullshit, It was with dude. deadly weapons. And they wanted to make it like a double life sentence if if we voted him guilty as affiliated with a gang. But we voted not guilty. The fuck is I that? I voted not guilty on that. And I kind of convinced everyone that it was not guilty. The fuck is that shit? Home invasion, it was a, a life sentence? Yeah. 
and you went a you're not Henry Fonda. Dude, you're Lee J. Cobb. This guy came in. So there was two guys, but Look, we were only one go guy on was principle. on trail. Does a man deserve to go to jail for life for home invasion? The fourth one? Yes. I don't care if it's the 20th one. I think almost. The- home invasion. Ro- armed robbery. So what, man? You got insurance? He, he ain't killing anyone. He put a gun to people's heads and tied them up in their house. Dude, you know how many things I put to people's heads, man? <laughs> you put me in two life sentences. Hey, look, all I'm saying is... And then they took pictures of it using the person's iPad, which saved on their iCloud. Exactly. So, had, so why give this man a life sentence? He had done it... Well... This I, is when we need... I the, didn't give him a life sentence. This is when we need the running man. He gave it to himself for... Times. This was his fourth. So what if it's his fourth time? Do you really (laughs) want to pay? Okay. Mr. Uh, Ed Bagley. Ed Bagel. Yeah. Okay. Let's. uh, Let's excuse that. Do you really want to pay the taxes on keeping someone who did home invasion four times for life in prison? Because it's like. 60 or 80, maybe even a hundred thousand. I don't know. I'm coming up with bullshit numbers, but it's a lot of money to keep someone incarcerated for a year. So you have my real answer or the one that won't get the podcast canceled? Oh shit. <laughs> he is Lee Jacob. No, we are, are, personally, I feel like some of these people would just throw in vats of acid <laughs> and just be done with it. <laughs> oh, that's the solution. Honestly, just kill him. I don't. I mean, kill you know, him for home invasion. Oh yeah, some you people want, we're just done with as a society. You want to kill for home invasion? Fourth time. That's not the worst thing in the world. No. Okay, look, you're right. One, people are desperate. They need money, and this is how they know how to get it. Not even if he's dead. That's just not the worst thing in the world. No. Did he beat someone up? Did he like? Yes. He they attacked the people in the house. How badly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember, but I know they were tied up. And they had threatened to murder their animals and stuff like that. Did they murder any animals? No. Well, of course you're going to talk dangerous. I'm not going to tie Look, you up and talk dude, softly to you. Dude, if you had it happen to you, how would you feel? Oh, I'd be traumatized. But well, that's me being like brutalized. But in the context of thing to look outside the box. So not only one family was brutalized and traumatized for life by this person. Four oh, families. for life. They were just tied up. Come on, man. That's <laughs> just a good night on a Saturday in San Francisco. Look, regardless of how I how what happened is that's what the law was. It was past the three strike rule because sometimes you gotta fight the law, buddy. Is what I'm telling. You. Look, of course there should be a way for this guy to. Re- this, Dude, we're twelve angry men. <laughs> there should be a way for this guy to redeem himself and to become an active member of society. And I honestly blame society. Look, for pr- God damn it, prison is supposed to reform people, not incarcerate people. I agree. But that's not the world we live in. I know. And but also, I think there are extremely dangerous and evil and awful human beings out there. Home invasion and beating the shit out. That's not that bad. Okay. There's worse things. In my opinion, Bill Cosby's a more heinous person. How many times until he murders? And then if we let him go, is that on us for letting it for murdering that person for murdering? How many times? What kind of assumption is that? That's going to re- That's gonna the grossest kind of assumption where you're like, "Oh, real. Well, they're going to eventually murder." Event- but the, even if the- But that didn't happen. That didn't come to pass. Yeah, cuz he's in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he ain't going to murder he can murder criminals. 
that just doesn't work, dude. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't, but that's like the grossest way to look at it. It is gross. What are they going to do in the future? Well, one, they're already this thing. Look, what are they going to become? That's why so many people hate we, gang members. We dude. do not do the sentencing. <laughs> you did the sentencing. No, you literally did. They asked us, did he commit this crime? Is he guilty of this crime? Without a reasonable doubt? Yes. Yes. Is he innocent of this crime? No. no. The judge says, life imprisonment. Okay, my so bad. So it's the judge who passes the judgment. I think I didn't think so. And just so. the jurors who are just saying, yes, what these facts are, are true. Yeah. We find beyond a reasonable yeah. doubt that this person that is sounds guilty like or how whatever. A guilty conscience gets out of their actions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel too bad about it personally. I mean, is it horrible? Oh, yes. That's why I could never be a juror. That society... Because I could never be that impartial. And you should be as a juror. You should. As a civic duty, you have to be impartial. And that's, again, what 12 Angry Men was so much strongly about, right? Yes. The only impartial one was Henry Fonda. Because he was the only one who said, I will concede. Mm-hmm. Where everyone else allowed their bias to play and to dictate their answer. Yes. Yeah, he said if you know if you all vote guilty, I'll put a guilty yeah, vote in. Clearly, and we'll I'm be done. in the wrong. I'm seeing it in the wrong perspective. Yeah, I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, let it be known. Yeah. Yeah. See how I brought it back around. Yeah. So we that's twelve angry men and a little tangent from us about some of our history and uh, <laughs> that little tangent. That was the whole. <laughs> that was longer than the movie. 